Welcome to the online broadcast. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. Now, how did I get a title like that? Well, 39 felonies, a place on the United States most wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. Of course, I went to prison, and I spent my time there, and since that point, I've dedicated my life to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the type of person that I used to be. Now, you may notice that we're missing someone today. Carice Hendrick, my co-host, is unable to join us, so I am flying solo. And some people may think that a good thing. Some people may think it a bad thing. Some people may say, well, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And some people may say, well... We've got 100% Brett Johnson, 100% of the show. Yay! Well, you know what? I don't know, but we're going to do the best we can without Carice. She will be joining us very, very soon. Now, usually at this part of the show, we usually start out with the what the fraud segment. You know what? I really don't even know how to handle that this week around. So what we're going to do is we're going to read some of the most recent news articles having to do with security, crime, online crime, all that good stuff. The first one that caught my attention and what I do, here's my plug for an app for the day. I use this app called Flipboard. And what it is is you you pick whatever subjects that you like that you are kind of interested in reading and it will load your feed full of news stories regarding those subjects. So my Flipboard is full of well, video games and cosplay and cybersecurity and scams and stuff like that and politics because, you know, I love to bitch about politics. One of the stories that caught my attention, the headline reads, how an Instagram influencer scammed her followers out of $1.5 million. Subheadline, Kayla Massa was arrested last week after allegedly using debit cards from social media recruited victims to deposit huge amounts of stolen money. Hmm. Turns out that the 22-year-old Kayla was arrested after allegedly committing bank fraud and wire fraud, stealing $1.5 million from approximately 45 people. So what happened was is she's got 330,000 Instagram followers, another 107,000 subscribers over on YouTube. She was posting videos of screenshots of stacks of cash, money, money orders, screenshots of bank balances, videos of people flashing debit cards and waving their cash in the air. And she even posted, you know, she said on the videos, she said, uh, let's see what she says here. If you got a bank account and you are interested in making legal money, hit me up ASAP. Well, the people who hit her up, she said they could make up to $5,000. What she needed to do was just please let one of my associates use your bank account to deposit some money. Yeah, that sounds fishy to begin with. And she even backed it up. She said, you know what? We're not trying to steal money out of your bank account. What we want you to do is just empty your bank account. Empty it out, and we're going to send you some United States postal money orders. You deposit them. You keep, you know, a percentage for yourself. 
send us the excess back. Everybody's happy. Everybody makes money. Turns out that Kayla and her associates allegedly, see, I have to say allegedly because we don't want to get sued or anything. So Kayla and her associates allegedly stole some United States postal money orders, filled them out, sent them to these victims. The victims deposited those money orders into their bank accounts where their U.S. postal money orders, the bank, of course, clears the, the money orders immediately. The victims then send Kayla and her associates the majority of the funds. They keep a small percentage for themselves. About a week later, the bank figures out that the money orders are fraudulent. They reverse the charge. Basically, what they do is they say, this bank account now owes us for the amount of money orders. So the victims were left in a deficit on their bank account. Now, some of these victims decided they were going to bitch to Kayla and they threatened to call the police and everything else, to which Kayla said, oh, go ahead, call the cops. I don't mind. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If anybody didn't notice, Kayla ended up doing this stuff in her own name on Instagram. On Instagram. With her face. Her real face. Now, I come from a fraud, a criminal background. And when we see someone doing this type of crime under their own name with their real pretty, you know, their, their actual face on camera doing the crime, what we usually say from, you know, a more experienced fraudster point of view is, hey, this must be your first day on the job. And if it is, let me tell you, you are doing things really bad. So it must have been Kayla's first day on the job, but even so, she stole you know, $1.5 million, and she's going to pay the price for that, rightfully so. Here's the other thing for any victims out there that, are, that are, would be victims. Let me tell you, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. It is. Someone's offering you $5,000 to let you use their bank account. Come on, man. Come on. You know, I'm not a victim blamer, but have some have some sense about this. Understand that nothing in this world is for free. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. It is. So just realize that. Moving on to one of the next stories. Here's another headline. Oh, this really got my attention. This is from the Winnipeg News, CTV News. And the headline reads, new scam uses your phone number to steal your online identity. Ooh. Boy, I like that. See, I read a headline like that. And I'm like, oh, that piques my interest because I'm like, what new scam is out there that's using a phone number to steal people's online identities? Because I'm always interested in that. I'm always, I come from that background. I'm always interested in that. Well, it turns out, now this was written February 17th, just, you know, four days ago. They're talking about phone porting, SIM swaps, and they say it's a new scam. Now, maybe it's new in Winnipeg, but as far as I know, it's not new to the rest of the world at all. We've been seeing SIM swaps, phone porting, whatever you want to call it. We've been seeing it for quite some time. So new? Yeah, I don't think so. Moving right along. Oh, here's a neat one. Here's a neat one. This shows what is really vulnerable in cybersecurity across the planet. 
this headline. And you know what I like? I like to read headlines to where you don't even need to read the story. The headline itself tells every single thing you need to know about the story. And this, this is one of those headlines. It's from ZDNet. And the headline reads, Israeli soldiers tricked into installing malware by Hamas agents posing as women. Let that sink in. Israeli soldiers tricked into installing malware by Hamas agents posing as women. And it's got some of the pictures of women. And of course, you know, they're, they're very sexy women. And, you know, that's just, to me, that's just an indicator of, you know, the, the weak link is always, is always the human. Now, I'm sure that Hamas has, has very talented computer people that could, you know, potentially try to brute force their way into a system and install malware. They could look for outward-facing SMBs, everything else like that. And maybe they could find it, maybe not. But why would they waste their time doing that if they've, the only thing they need to do is send some nice little pictures over to some Israeli soldiers of scantily clad women? And these nice little pictures are attached to text messages saying, oh, we want you, we love you, we love you long time. That seems a much easier way to get malware installed on the system than trying to potentially spend years brute forcing your way through the system to install malware. So again, an indicator that the human is always the weakest link. And finally, finally, my favorite news story of the day. And we'll move on to the show after this. My favorite news story of the day. It's again one of these headlines that says every single thing you need to know about the story. You don't need to read the story at all. The headline says it all. And here is the headline. It's from CNN.com. Cops are looking for a man they say showed up for his first shift and stole $17,000 worth of merchandise. <laughs> uh, I like that so much. Let's read that again. Cops are looking for a man they say showed up for his first shift and stole $17,000 worth of merchandise. It's in Connecticut. It took place in Connecticut. Guy works at a gas station. Or he got a job at a gas station. Shows up for the first day on the job. Decides, you know what? I can do a lot better if I just take a bunch of stuff. So what does he take? He steals lottery tickets because, you know, why not? Maybe he'll hit the lottery. So he steals lottery tickets. He steals 89 boxes, 89 boxes of cigarettes and a few thousand dollars. So I'm guessing that he's got a smoking habit. He figures he'll, you know, smoke his cigarettes, scratch off the lottery tickets. He's got a few thousand bucks in his pocket as well. It's a good day. So, you know, that's got nothing to do with cybersecurity, but it does highlight, it does highlight this whole idea of the insider threat. You know, when I was a criminal, we had credit card skimmers and people who had the handheld skimmers, they would try to get jobs working at restaurants or working at hotels, any place they could get a physical credit card and swipe it through the skimmer really quick to record that track data. So you should always, you know, as, as a merchant or retailer, you should certainly always know your customer. You need to know that. But it might be good to always know who your employees are 
too. Because you might get someone like this little guy right here that decides to come into a service station and steal 89 cases of cigarettes. Or you might get somebody that's got, you know, credit card theft on the brain and they've got a handheld skimmer and they're in there to steal track data. You know, it, it, it's just one of those things. Insider threats are, are a very serious thing. You know, we saw in Cherokee, North Carolina, not very long ago, we saw the first attack from an insider, a ransomware attack. It was the first instance that ransomware had been installed by an insider. That was just, that was not very long ago, a couple of months ago. So always be aware, not only your employees, but your customers as well. With that being said, you know, the last couple of weeks we've done shows on merchant account takeover and our, our first real show talking about fraud had talked about this reshipper thing, which, you know, some people had thought it was a new technique. It was actually a technique that, that we started using back in the early 2000s on how to defraud merchants. And what we would do is we would change the billing information at the bank level of the credit card or the debit card. We would actually go to the bank and we would change the account, the, the billing address to an address that we controlled. And then from there, we would contact the merchant, you know, the store, we would order from the store, the shipping address would match that was on the credit card and then go from there. Now that was, that was a fraud that took place in the early 2000s when we first started credit card theft with shadow crew what was interesting is is that the banks were being hit pretty hard at that point and the banks really went you know it 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 it, it succeeded for a pretty good amount of time but after a while the banks caught on and they stopped that type of fraud. I mean, they really locked things down to where it became, and not, they didn't stop it, but it became really, really difficult for criminals to come in and start changing those billing addresses like that. So criminals had to adopt other techniques and other ways to, to, to go about committing credit card fraud. So recently we've seen this, this kind of resurgence in this type of fraud of criminals have it, finding it much easier to change the billing address at the bank level and then hit a merchant because you've got the merchant that's siloed from the bank, the bank is siloed from the, from the consumer. You've got these three silos, the consumer, the bank, and the merchant, and they don't really talk to each other. What I find was interesting, and this is not the crux of the show, but what I find was pretty interesting about that is that what's made that possible for that resurgence of fraud to come back. That's something that was taking place, you know, ad, ad nauseum in the early 2000s. And then it kind of died out. What's caused that resurgence has been these new regulations that have popped up. So the regulations, the, the way things are going is the bank no longer has the onus of responsibility. It's, it's now the responsibility of the merchant. So as a result, the bank is not doing every single thing they can to stop that type of fraud. They're able, to, they're able to step back from that and say, well, you know what? It's not us that are losing the money. It's not, it's not the financial institution. It's up to the merchant to make sure that everything is proper. But the, of course, the problem is, is that the criminal is changing the billing address at the bank level 
And then when the merchant tries to verify it, it verifies as correct because it was changed at the bank level. The merchant's not able to talk to the bank or doesn't have the time to do the manual review to talk to the bank. And that's where the, the, this problem comes up. It's on regulation. I just, I just kind of wanted to point that out that sometimes when people figure that they, they're going to fix a problem, Sure, you may think you're fixing a problem, but sometimes it doesn't work out like that. And one of the one of the other areas where that's happened has been in synthetic fraud. So in synthetic fraud, the reason that that has became such a pariah across financial institutions, merchants, consumers across the entire globe now has to do with basically people thinking that they're doing the right thing, trying to stop one type of fraud and opening up another. And, and specifically talking about the United States, in 2011, the Social Security Administration, they randomized Social Security numbers. They did that to combat one specific type of identity theft. And that type was, is that if you're issued a Social Security number prior to 2011, if I know the last four digits of that number, if I know your date of birth and the state you were born in, I can get the first five numbers easily. I mean, very easily. So the Social Security Administration, they decided they were going to randomize those numbers so you could no longer tell the year it was issued or the state it was issued from. Great. It stopped that type of identity theft just fine. But when it stopped it, guess what? Well, yeah, it, it opened up a brand new, even larger, even worse door for criminals to walk through and profit. And that was the synthetic fraud. So now criminals could use fabricated social security numbers. They could use children's social security numbers that were born after 2011, build up credit profiles, and then cash out for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's this whole problem of synthetic fraud that we've got today. So just, just understand that, that a lot of the time when we're trying to fix problems, regulations or people who think they're doing great, sometimes they open up a worse door than what they're trying to fix. And that's, that's an issue. Now that, of course, now even that, we could do a whole show on that. But what I wanted to do today, because a lot of people don't really visit the dark web that much, I figure we could do a nice little dark web tour. Since this is a bit of a solo show, I don't have any answers for anybody today, but we've got some little dark web stuff we could go by and talk about. So just to explain what's going on. The dark web, you've got three basic, basic areas of the internet. You've got the surface web, which is anything that can be found using Google. So if you can search for it and find it on Google, that is the surface web. That's only about 4% of the internet. The other 96% is called the deep web, all right? The other 96% is called the deep web, and that's things like emails, bank account information, anything behind a paywall or a subscriber wall, that's the deep web. But inside of the deep web, You've got what's called the dark web. Ooh, scary word, dark web. You've got what's called the dark web. Now, the dark web, to access that, you have to have a specific type of browser called the Tor browser. It was developed by the United States Navy, and the whole thing was developed so that initially operatives could communicate with each other without being identified by foreign governments. The Navy then releases it to open source 
at which point, you know, it was, it was aimed at maybe dissidents being able to communicate or uh, people behind countries' firewalls able to view things that that specific country didn't want them to view, things like that. What they didn't realize, and again, this is just one of these problems, what they didn't realize is that if something can be used to remain anonymous or to help launder money, the first adopters are criminals. Wow, consider that. There's something out there that can help me hide my identity from law enforcement. Why wouldn't I use that? Or there's something out there that can help me launder money somewhat anonymously. Hmm, why not use that? So yeah, the first adopters of the dark web, by and large, were criminal elements. Well, not the first, but the first real uses, mass uses were criminals. So they, they start going to the dark web because of this. Now, the dark web, we had Silk Road, which was the market, the first major marketplace, first major successful marketplace. You had Silk Road 2, Sheep, Evolution, until we finally get to a few years ago where we had Alphabay. Now, Alphabay was shut down July 5th, 2017. At the time it was shut down, it was the largest criminal network on the planet, had 240,000 members. 240,000. And Alphabay dealt with drugs, it dealt with fraud. Most of the users on there were drug people. Most of the drug people wanted marijuana. Not that I've got anything against getting high. I've been high a couple of times. I hate marijuana personally. And just don't, I don't like that sense of losing time. I mean, I, I the first, first joint I smoked, I was 19. I took a few tokes. And I literally, I, from what I remember, I, I stood there just kind of zoned out, like, and it felt like forever. And then as I was coming down, I expected to get the munchies. I never really got the munchies, but I convinced myself I had the munchies. So I ate a bunch of Cheetos and, you know, I like Cheetos. It turns your fingers orange, but I like Cheetos. So that, that's, that, that was what Alpha Bay was. Now Alpha Bay was shut down by law enforcement, July 5th, 2017. 240,000 members. Law enforcement had actually taken over another website at that point in time called Hansa Market. Hansa Market, they hadn't announced that they shut it down. So law enforcement goes in, they arrest Alexander Kazas in Thailand. He promptly hangs himself in a Thailand jail so he doesn't have to face the charges. Law enforcement then kind of, kind of shoes everyone or, or gets everyone to go over to Hansa market saying, Hey, this is the new market everyone's using. So everyone migrates over to Hansa market from Alpha Bay. Two weeks later, Hansa market is shut down and law enforcement goes, ha ha, gotcha. What happened is the result of that shockwave of both those markets being shut down. The result was, is it caused such paranoia within the entire dark web criminal community that people really didn't know what to do anymore. They were so scared, so paranoid, they thought that there was even an exploit against the Tor browser that was allowing IP addresses to be shown. The result was is that there was this mass migration from the dark web back to the surface web. People started, and it was already being, I, I, wanna, I want you to understand this. Most crime, most crime does not take place online on the dark web. Most crime has always taken place on the surface web. Okay? The dark web gets that rap for being criminal enterprise and it's got a lot of crime on there, but you know, 90% of online crime takes place on the surface web. The surface web, that stuff that you can find via Google. 
So anyway, there was this mass migration from the dark web back to the surface web. People started using Facebook more to commit crime. They started using Reddit. So Reddit is a, is a great, great website. It truly is. And on Reddit, you've got all these little forums on there and you can discuss any topic that you want to on planet Earth. Any topic is there and it's great. I mean, it truly is. Well, the criminals went to Reddit and they started setting up these sub forums on Reddit discussing drug trafficking and fraud and the dark web and everything else like that. And Reddit let it go on. Now, my personal thought on that is that, yeah, you know, Reddit let it go on because you had law enforcement coming in, getting all the data from that. And they were sitting there going, oh, this, let these idiots use it. We're getting, we're getting cases and cases and cases. And we're able to identify the players on the dark web and we're going to make some arrests. And I agree, that's exactly what happened. I, you know, I don't think anybody will admit it, but that's pretty much what happened. And I'm all for it, because if you're breaking the law, as long as you're an adult, I think that a good stint in prison will set your mind straight. If you're a minor, absolutely not. If you're a minor, I think that you need to have a mentor and someone take you under your wing and get you set on the right path. But if you're an adult, by all means, you need to serve some prison time if you're breaking the law. I mean, I did, it did me a world of good. Anyway, what I was saying is they migrated up there, started using Reddit, started using Facebook, had a few forums set up as well on, on the surface web, and everything was going kind of great until Reddit decides they're going to start shutting down some of these subreddits. And one of the ones they shut down was a darknet subreddit that had 300,000 members. 300,000 members let that sink in. All right. The result was, see, the, for cybercrime to, to be successful, whether you're trafficking drugs or financial cybercrime, you have to have some sort of large communication channel. You have to have some way to get information of where you're supposed to go, who you can trust, who has the best products, how to buy those products, how to have, how to have those products shipped to you all this other stuff. You have to have that. If you don't have that, then you have no idea where to go, who to trust, who to buy from, anything else, and it falls apart. So Reddit had been, had been filling that void for people. When Reddit starts to shut that, that down, no one knows where to go. So the result is this website, it's on the dark web, called Dread. And it's ran by this gentleman. He goes by the screen name of Hug Bunter. It's kind of a play on words of Bug Hunter, but Hug Bunter is his name. And he has built this thing called Dread, and he built it to be the Reddit of the dark web. And let me tell you, this site is outstanding. It is technically proficient. It, is, it runs well. It doesn't have JavaScript on it. it he's got CSS out the walls. I mean, it's great. It truly is. It is an impressive sight to behold. It becomes the dark web. Um, it becomes the, the Reddit of the dark web. So we're going to look at, so if you're looking for a lot of information on the dark web or on, on crime, and the listeners of this podcast, we talk about fraud. So we're visiting two subreddits. You know, on Reddit, there's subreddits. Here on Dread, there's subreddits. There's little forums built within the, the Dread platform that people can go and discuss whatever topics they want to discuss. And the subdreads that we're visiting today are the fraud subdread and the carding subdread. And we're just going to pull out a few 
headlines. One of the things that I noticed, and I've, so I'm, I'm right now visiting the fraud subdread, and there are tons of different threads, different topics discussing CPNs. So CPN is a credit profile number. It is the basis of synthetic fraud. So this is one of the things where, you, where you're going through, if you're kind of interested in knowing where people are in their fraud, where fraud is as a whole, you go to one of these channels and you see what people are talking about most. And what I see on this fraud subdread most discussed are credit cards and synthetic fraud, CPNs. And people are wanting to know how to go about creating the CPN, which sites are best, which banks are best to open up bank accounts on, stuff like that. So that's, that's a lot of the chatter that we see on these information channels for cyber criminals to use. So we're going to go through, I'm actually going to um, point out a few different types of topics regarding these subdreads. Okay. So here's uh, and, and just give you a taste of how these information channels work. Okay. So this is the carding subdread and on the carding subdread, the headline of this thread reads PayPal transfer 30 minutes or less. It's uh, the user's name is GoPro. It was posted 10 hours ago. And the, the, the advertisement, so he's advertising this thing. The advertisement reads as follows. We are a team of carters, mainly focused on money transfers. We have been delivering our services to private Russian boards since 2013. I do legitimate PayPal transfers, processes, and a series of transfers to our exchangers who then relay the funds to you with the result that you receive clean funds transferred into your account. We provide 100% legitimate and affordable services. Then he has the pricing structure. If you want $450 worth of PayPal sent to you, the price is $150. That's an instant PayPal transfer. If you want $1,000 PayPal, the price is $350. If you want $2,500 PayPal, the price is $500. Bitcoin payment only. Monero coming soon. PayPal will be loaded instantly after the payment is made, but you won't be able to use the same account too many times per week. So here's where I call bullshit, okay? And I base that call on my years of experience of being able to detect criminal bullshit. Now, here's the thing. He first says, we do legitimate PayPal transfers. Well, no, you don't out of the gate, we know that they're fraudulent. We know that. So, but he claims that he's able to clean it enough to where it's clean. But at the end of the ad, he says the payment is made, but you won't be able to use the same account too many times per week. Well, you know what? If they were truly clean funds, you'd be able to use that same account as many times as you want to use it. So no, they're not legitimate. Now, can he do a PayPal transfer? Well, yeah, maybe he can but is it going to shut your account down if you don't get the money out quick enough? Well, yeah, it probably is. So what I imagine is going on here is that Mr. GoPro, he's able to do some PayPal transfers. Now he's, he's talking out of his butt by saying that he, that they're all legitimate. And he says that so he gets more business in there because if he were to say, well, you know what? I can send the PayPal transfer, but honestly, PayPal, they're, they're pretty good about, flagging some of these. So, you know, 
it may get flagged. You know, it, 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 there's a good chance it'll get flagged. But, you know, I, I really want you to send me some money. So, you know, why don't you send me some money and we'll see how it goes. Now, if he were to tell the truth, which that is the truth, the chances of him getting customers, that's not going to work. So he has to come up with this BS line of, oh, they're completely legitimate. We have a series of exchangers we send them through and it cleans the funds. No worries. But you may not be able to use the same account for long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I call BS. That's one of the things that you see on these, these info sites for criminals. You see a lot of people having an item or a service and they, they claim stuff that's not real. I know that's, I know that's hard to believe that a criminal would, would claim something that's not completely right. But it happens. It happens. And it's not just the people who are buying and selling items. You see people on here all the time saying, oh, I make $30,000 a week. Well, you know what? You don't. The chances, I mean, some people do. Some people, I mean, I, I stole a lot of money at one point. So, um, but most of these people who are bragging about the money they steal, they're not stealing anywhere near that on a weekly basis. They're probably lucky to be able to pay whatever small bills they've, they've got, honestly. So let's move right along to one of these other. So we can show you somebody else on these channels of dark web criminal information. This is from the fraud subdread, and the title of the thread is Business Email Compromise, and it's got in parentheses B-E-C, and it's posted by the user Bond Comma. That's B-O-N-D-K-A-M-A. Now, what's kind of interesting is the way that this thread, this, this post reads. So I'm going to read it because again, it's, it's kind of interesting and in that I want you to understand what I'm saying at the end of this. All right. So after a long time in virtual world of carding and shit have decided to shift to a different field of money-making, obviously a more complex one, but returns are worth it. And that is BEC. Typically an attack targets specific employees within an organization by sending a spoof email or series of spoof e emails, which fraudulently represent a senior colleague, CEO or similar, or a trusted customer. The email will issue instructions such as, uh, such as approving payments or releasing client data. The emails often use social engineering to trick the victim into making money transfers to the bank accounts of the fraudster. Based on recent reporting, the card losses, the carding losses were $111 million, while BEC was $1.7 billion. So you can guess how lucrative this field is. Anyone with a good insight or ideas how to carry this shit out is welcome. Make a simple post. Let's hit this organization and share the bread downstream. Now, when I read a post like that, my first knee-jerk reaction is cop. That's the police. My second reaction is, okay, that's not the police. That's some idiot security guy that has no idea. He's never been on one of these forums before. He has no idea how these people actually talk. So he's doing some cut and paste stuff and he's posting some stuff out there trying to fish for information so he can tell his boss how people are committing business email compromise. That's my thought on that. I, I, here, I'll give, I'll give Bond comma a nice little tidbit. 
Unicode domains. Now, run with that. That's all I got to say. Unicode domains. Go look that up. All right. But here's the thing. You get these people, they, these people who have no idea how the, the, these information channels, these forums work among cyber criminals. And they come in posting stuff like this, thinking that they're going to gather a lot of information. Let me tell you something. Let me save everybody the trouble out there. Unless you know the language of these forums, unless you know the dynamic of that specific type of forum, the way everything flows, the way people talk to each other, the way they communicate with each other. When you post something like this, the only thing you're doing is you're having a big red flag up. That's it. And people know, okay, we're going to avoid that person. So just tidbit of the day on that. Take your time, learn the dynamic of the forum, learn the language, learn how things flow, and then don't ask a question like that anyway. Just go in there and start harvesting information. You'll be much better off. Now, since I've shown you two BS threads, I would like to end the show with a not BS thread, something that actually has some benefit for criminals and for people who are interested in stopping criminals. So here's the thing. This type of this this thread is called My Mobile Carding Setup 3.0. It was posted on Subdread, on the fraud subdread. And it's a nice walkthrough of how this guy sets up his mobile device for carding. Okay, it's very it's it really is impressive the way he does it. Okay. Um, I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to actually read this thread out and I'm walking through it so that at the end of the day, we can see that the good guys know how the bad guys operate. The bad guys already know all this stuff. The good guys don't. So I think it's important that we get this out and discuss this kind of stuff. So let's start by reading this. This was posted two days ago. The title of the thread, my mobile carding setup 3.0. And I might stop while I'm reading this to explain some of the stuff that's going on. Okay. So posted two days ago. So I've been using just a simple phone on LTE data plan the last month. I've been hitting PayPal hard as fuck. I use, I don't even use cards anymore. I use PayPal logs. I log into the account before I hit the site, turn off all notifications in the account, and I can go nuts, LOL. Some of these logs have bank accounts attached to them. I hit an $8,000 order via this method. The problem is I paid $1,200 for a private vendor for 500 all fully verified PayPal accounts but he is no longer active. So I might have to go back to credit cards soon unless one of you guys has a spot for PayPal that you could inform me on. So overall, I believe PayPal logs is easier than cards. I didn't have a single time in which I didn't get a shipment. So what he says is, is I didn't have a single order using PayPal logs. I did not have a single order that did not go through. With credit cards, I did. Using PayPal logs, every single order went through and they shipped. So let's continue. So below is a setup if you don't want to use a simple burner phone. So a simple burner phone is that thing you pick up at Walmart, you know, $40 prepaid cell phone. You put the minutes on it. That's a simple burner. That's all it is. So he says, if you don't want to use a simple burner phone, you need a decent phone to run VMOS. 
VMOS is a virtual machine on the cell phone. So you need a simple device, you need a decent phone to run VMOS. This is key for methods involving banks and having to log into an account more than once. That's what he says. Currently, I am using a basic smartphone on LTE because all I'm doing now is just ordering shit to drops. I have like eight to 12 packs a week. Ha ha ha. So I alternate methods every few weeks. I haven't placed an order this week as I have six packages shipped that I have to pick up between today and well, this was posted on Wednesday, but today and Friday. Next week, I will go back to the mobile setup listed below and start fucking up Stripe and Square using VMOS and a method I created. I posted a few months ago regarding a success I was having with Carding Mobile. I have since optimized my setup. It is hitting, so Carding, it is hitting an 85% rate if I had to tie a percentage in. I mainly just cart items to drops and resell and I'm making some nice money. My buddy is a bit more radical and does PayPal stuff with my setup. I just wanted to improve OPSEC overall and I have done that. So understand, you need a phone powerful enough to run VMOS. Just make sure it meets the basic requirements. So VMOS, he gives the, the website to run VMOS. He says add virtual root and the ability to root on the virtual machine. So virtual machine, for those who don't know, VMOS or virtual machine is basically on a computer or on your cell phone. It's like having another computer within that device itself, okay? So he wants you to install and run VMOS, and he explains it here. VMOS is a, an Android VM machine you can run on your phone. You can YouTube how to do it, because if you don't know, hey, there's always a YouTube video on how to walk you through it. A lot of the videos are Pokemon Go related, but still just follow those same steps. Install Exposed Framework and the following mods. First, Hijack Suite Free, which allows you to get a random, pay attention to this, Hijack Suite Free allows you to get a random IMEI serial number and build number. Do not change the Wi-Fi MAC address because it's, it messes up the connection. Did you get that? So Hijack Suite Free changes the IMEI, the serial number, and the build number of the device. That's big. That's big. The second thing is the serial number changer verifies the phone, the number it changes from the app above. This is done in the virtual machine. This takes care of the OPSEC. Of course, every few days or after you hit someplace, change the configuration, which is easy enough. You're getting a new IMEI, a new serial number, a new build number. You've got that VM operating on the mobile device itself. So it's a brand new device every, it looks like a brand new device every single time. And you're able to use the same cell phone over and over and over again. The reason you use the VM box is if you need to log into that same account multiple times, you have the VM box running on the phone. And it's like that, that consistent, persistent device that you can continue to use over and over and over again. So far as the browser, Use Chrome. No add-ons are needed. I have found that this is the best browser to do carding on within the VM box. Download AnyMail as an email client if needed. 
outside of the VM box on the host telephone. Use APK Pure or APK Mirror or anything that is not Google Play and download the APK of the following, the first being the fake GPS. That is to spoof the location of the card holder. You can download this outside or inside of the VM box. The second is Bifrost V to add SOX5 proxies close to the card holder. Now, SOX5 proxy, for those who don't know, they're extremely cheap, they're easy to use. We have a lot of companies out there that talks about proxy piercing, able to determine if a proxy is in use. That can be done to a degree, but let me tell you, the companies that say, oh, we can, we can find any proxy in use. No, no, you can't. No, you can't. If the, if the criminal has a very good proxy provider, if he knows how to set the proxy up correctly, the chances of you knowing that a proxy is in use, do not tell me that a company can find every single proxy that is in use. Don't tell me that, all right? If that were happening, we would not have SOX5 proxies being used by criminals. So please, stop, okay? He says, I use LuxSox as I'm able to get Android proxies and IPs to hit with them. I use public Wi-Fi and I hit whatever merchant I want to hit. So LuxSox, the address is luxsox.ru. To join LuxSox, they, they provide proxies, Sox5 proxies, to anybody that wants to use them. It's behind a paywall. To just get a entry to the site is $500, and you can buy proxies from there. You can rent them or buy them outright. They have proxies for Android devices, for desktops. They have proxies for every state in the union, for most countries on the planet Earth as well. And you can get as close to the cardholder as you need to in order to put your order through. And not only that, but on LuxSox, it has a nice little thing that you can go through, which will tell if the, uh, if the proxy is blacklisted, if it's showing up as, as fraudulent, anything else like that, before you even purchase it. You can, you can run all this through LuxSox. And it's, it's, it's still, LuxSox has been one of the premier proxy providers for a while. It is still one of the premier proxy providers. It, I mean, it's it, what they provide over there for criminal use is outstanding for criminals to use. So let's continue with this thread. Just throwing this out there, I do have a peer who is more advanced in this mobile shit than I am that says only thing you really need is mobile data and you're good. Doesn't matter where the cardholder is located. So he's saying, hey, you just got mobile data. You, you tend to be all right anyway. Other tips that he throws in. To track packages, do not use carrier sites. The reason he says that is that FedEx and UPS they're very good about law enforcement is very good about finding out who's checking, you know, the IP addresses that are checking, tracking on certain packages, stolen packages or drug trafficking packages. So what this guy says is, Hey, instead of using the actual carrier sites, go to 17 track after ship or tracking more works much better. He also says use a fake camera app. If you need to upload a picture for verification or something using the VM box. Make sure you have good credit cards. I only use a range of world card bins and Amex cards. It depends on the site I want to hit. I've developed some decent methods that I am expanding on. Feel free to direct message for any questions in regards to this setup. So, and the result is he's got several people that chime in and, you know, they really like it. They say, bro, been looking for this. Another guy says, I love you. Another guy says, thanks for this post, man. This helps me out a whole lot. Um, and it keeps going from there. Just, just accolades upon accolades. 
for this guy. This type of setup, it's, it's a very good setup. It truly is. I mean, he, what he's talking about is, is really good for committing fraud from a mobile standpoint. And right now, mobile is going crazy. I mean, the fraudsters know that the best way to get orders through is using mobile devices. And this type of setup that he's got is very effective. It's very effective. It truly is. I mean, it's, it's impressive the way he writes it out. What we see here is we see the way that information is shared among criminals. Okay. When I built Shadow Crew, we built Shadow Crew as an open source environment. We wanted criminals to exchange information with each other because we knew that by exchanging information, everyone becomes more educated. We become more aware. We become better criminals. And better criminals mean more profit. So this guy understands this as well. And it's still the way the criminal mindset works online. By sharing and exchanging information, people steal more money. Okay? So that's what we see is this, this free-flowing change exchange of information. I'm just going to post this out there for people to learn. Because if you learn, you're going to make more money. Maybe you'll share information with me. That's one of the big differences between the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys, they don't really share information. They use information as a competitive edge. Until we get to the point where we're like the criminals, where we understand that information exchanged among our peers is beneficial to everyone, not just one company. Until we get to that point where we're able to freely exchange information, to talk to our peers about the troubles that we're seeing, about how crime is committed, about the types of uh, problems that one company is having, and able to not use it as a competitive edge, we will always, we will always be trailing behind the criminals. That's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining me. I hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got so many more topics to cover on the online fraudcast to help protect you and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Please tell your friends and rate and review us wherever you can. Believe you me, we need it. Also, we want to hear about what you love and what you don't love about the podcast. Episode suggestions, problems, solutions, anything you'd like to share with us, we do appreciate. You can find us on the online broadcast on Facebook, on our website, www.onlinefraudcast.com, or individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.